All right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have Mickey Free, Grammy-winning blues rock guitarist. You might know him from Shyamala. You might know him from his uh, solo work as Mickey Free or Mickey Free in the American Band. Or you might know him from Charlie Murphy's True Stories. You know, the one with Prince and uh, Eddie Murphy and uh, playing basketball and eating pancakes, blueberry pancakes, after they were done playing basketball. Right? Absurd, but true. Um, so Mickey Free, that's who we're talking to, that guy. He has a, Mickey has a new album out, it's called, uh, Turquoise Blue. The guest list on this record is pretty absurd. He has Gary Clark Jr., Steve Stevenson, Chris Stone, Kingfish, Ingram, and Cindy Blackman. We're gonna listen to the track, World on Fire.
World on Fire by Mickey Free off the album Turquoise Blue will be available on all streaming platforms. And uh, this was a cool conversation. It was cool to pick the pick the mind of a guy who gets to hang out with some top tier musicians. Like, uh, you know, you see videos and pictures and like stories of people hanging out with each other that you don't think would. Like, oh yeah, just hanging out with Carlos Santana and Billy Gibbons and Gene Simmons, and it just sounds like a. It sound it doesn't sound real. So it was really cool to kind of pick someone's brain who that's who they hang out with. Like uh and they get to hear some cool stories about Prince and Miles Davis. It was a really cool conversation. Um before we get into this conversation, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast and all the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool guests and sharing their insights with you. So, with that being said, this is uh my conversation with Mickey Free. So what was like with your family? Was there music in the family? Uh, not really, you yeah. know, no one played an instrument, if that's what you meant. Yeah, no. yeah. Yeah, no, no, man. I mean, I was just the odd guy out that, you know, wanted to play guitar, and uh, I made it like my life mission to do so. You know, I I knew what I wanted to be kind of like very young. I wanted to be like a rock star. That was my dream, and uh, I pursued it all my life, to tell you the truth. I mean, I'm that guy for real, the way I look, everything. There's nothing pretentious about me. That's just who I am. And like I said, from very young, that's what I wanted to be. I mean, you know, Gene Simmons had to, uh, you know, when Gene Simmons discovered me, he was big on education. And he says, you know, uh, you should get some sort of degree or something while you're doing this because, you know, rock and roll isn't forever. And, you know, Gene was right. But, you know, that's the deal. No one was really into music except for me like that, that way. Was it that one, that's that's super interesting because, like, Gene, he, he seems like the guy that you'd get the lessons from about, like, the music industry, like, more so than the music. As, you know, I mean, that's a whole other, like, thing to learn. Like, you get into it from playing and trying to figure out how you can do this all the time, right. you know, right? And yeah. like, uh, you don't really think about that. So that's a solid. That's a solid like lesson. Did you did you dive into like some uh, like uh, did you take classes on anything else? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I yeah. What'd you I, t- what um, was you what did you major? Public relations. Nice because of because of Simmons, you know. Yeah, and he was the he was the best teacher at it, you know. Uh, Kisses Browning, as we all know is second to none. Gene Simmons is really the genius behind all that. And, you know, him and Paul Stanley managed me for probably 15 years. And I run my Mickey Free brand. It's called Dark Idol Music. Uh, That's what Gene Simmons nicknamed me, the Dark Idol. Can you dig that? (laughs) So, you know, I run my business on the uh, Gene Simmons uh, format to tell you the truth yeah man it was very gene simmons is a smart guy you know he used to be a teacher too did you know oh, that? no i did not what oh, do you yeah teach? yeah uh i can't remember exactly but i think it was younger kids okay younger kids uh so he's real philosophical and he's he's very intelligent you know besides being a big d-i-c-k you know he, <laughs> when you yeah, run but not all the but right. not all time <laughs> true <laughs> right. true <laughs> I love him to death, though. But, uh, I did not know that. That's cool. Um, yeah, man. But yeah, that's but that's like 
Yo, well, that's a good method because it works. It's still working. You know what I mean? Like, that's yeah, a good yeah. technique to learn. Like, you learn that form, <laughs> then that's amazing. Yeah, you know. Um, well, you know, go ahead. I was gonna. So, was was in your family? Was there like, was your dad or your mom? Did they run a business? That was there kind of like a. Because one thing I find amazing about your career and your musicality and your musical ability is like you're thrown in all these different situations. Like, and you handle them all like they all turn out well. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and it takes a special like adaptability to be able to be like, all right, I'm a, cause I've listened to a fair amount of interviews and you, you call yourself a rock guy, but you're playing with Shyamala and then like you're hanging, you know, you're, you got a, a flute record, you got all these different, yeah. you're doing a soundtrack, you know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. all these different forms you have to take to make music work. And, if you have like a limited mindset where you, I'm just this guitar guy, it's not going to pan out. So you have right. this ability to fit wherever, wherever needed. And like, uh, does that come from, is that something you learn just by doing it? Is there someone in your family that kind of like uh, inspired that type of mindset or was it just whatever you could do to make it work? You know, it's, it's just really uh, who I am really. Those different, aspects of me doing different music and outlooks on music it's just who i am actually yeah. you know yeah. i'm a mixed blood native american descendant and so you know i never would thought i'd ever play native american flute but you know i heard a guy play it and i was at a powwow and i thought it was probably the most beautiful instrument i've heard you know and so i wanted to play it so he gifted me a flute and I got to tell you, I, I don't read music. I don't do anything like that. It's all by ear. Everything that I do is by ear. So I learned how to play that. And to date, I have like five Native American flute CDs out, and they all have won awards, Native American Music Awards. Yeah. And then, right, that's crazy, right? Yeah. And then, you know, then my guitar playing, you know, uh, I've always been first and foremost, in my mind, a guitar player. That's what I wanted to be when I grew up. And, that's my main instrument. But again, you know, when Gene Simmons first discovered me, there was an opportunity to join that group Shalimar. And I was like, who the hell is Shalimar? You know? <laughs> yeah. So a great story. So this was in LA. So Gene Simmons and I at the time got in his Rolls Royce and we went up to uh, on Sunset Tower Records and we actually bought one there cassette tapes and you can take that bro <laughs> and yeah right and yeah. put it in jeans ro roller and listen to it and it was funk r&b which i was never into and i was like i don't want to join that band and simmons goes look we're gonna get you a deal anyway you know that he said because the kiss company was behind me too but he said and this is only the way gene simmons could say it it makes sense he says if you join Shalimar, we will negotiate a solo deal at the same time. He says, and you'll be joining a band that's pretty big right now that has a bunch of hits to it. And it would be like getting into a limousine instead of a taxi cab your first time out. So I knew exactly what he meant. So I said, all right. So I joined Shalimar first year, won a Grammy. Uh, it was crazy, man. It was crazy. And, and then, you know, other opportunities came but you know i do everything for survival yes for survival 
but that's second. Mostly it's just something in me that wants to do these things musically, basically. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Was it like, well, it would have to be right because if not, it'd be yeah. it'd be pretty uh, it'd be pretty painful to make it through because you stuck around totally. for a minute. Um, oh yeah. So like, what was like coming from like this blues kind of because that's what you dove into first, right? Was like blues and rock like that. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I was living. My stepfather was in the service, so I was living in Europe in Germany as as like a young boy. So I was I was digging bands like the Stones and Hendrix and Cream and. Uh, you know, all, those guys were my uh, biggest influences of playing guitar, blues rock guitar. Yeah. Because I'm not a because you know there's a difference, and I tell everybody this in interviews. I'm not a blues player. I'm a blues rock bass player, and yeah. there is a difference. Yeah, I'm not traditional blues, but I dig it. I dig it a lot. But like I said, Stones, man, the Stones, you know, Cream, Jeff Beck, those kind of cats. You know, I wasn't a big Beatles fan, I'm sorry to say. But, you know, those guys really turned me on to um, that sort of music of blues rock, because that's what they all basically play, you know? Yeah. What's a, What do you think the difference is? Is it like a, the traditionalism of kind of like blues, like a, where blues rock can incorporate more? That would be like my go-to trying to figure out the answer. Or is it like an approach thing? Well... Blues is contemporarily, you know, Muddy Waters and Holland Wolf and Albert King and cats like that are purists in yeah. the blues genre. Then you get classic rock guitarists, let's say, that dig the blues and they started putting their own touch and their own spin on their way of playing the blues, i.e. the Rolling Stones thought they were playing blues when they were playing. They, it wasn't blues, bro. But they thought they were playing blues, but it wasn't. And gotcha. but so, yeah. So yeah. introduced a new sound. The Rolling Stones created their own sound thinking they were black. Keith Richards said that in his book. Yeah. You know, that they thought they were black, you know, and right? Yeah. And they weren't. And, and their sound is nowhere near being black. But they think it's funky, uh, soulful, bluesy rocky r&b kind of stuff but it's killer it's the stones man you know it's yeah 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 did you catch them were you able to see them live when you were living over there no i no? never did that was in the 60s and you know and i uh they were if i could have seen the stones it would have been in the 70s and they're like 72 74 leg i mean that's when they were to me at the peak of their uh coolness yeah. you know yeah bill wyman bill wyman from the rolling stones is a very good friend of mine i played in hard rock at hard rock calling a couple three times it's in london in hyde parks hundred thousand people and bill and i became friends because a little steven from uh bruce's band yeah. introduced me yeah and he jammed with me a couple times uh in those big festivals in london and and we're still friends to this dad of Bill Wyman. And but, but believe it or not, bro, Bill Wyman knows more about freaking blues probably than any white person I have ever met. He's got a he wrote a book called The Blues Odyssey, and he gave me one, which is amazing, of detailed uh, chronological stuff of wow. when the blues started. Oh yeah, yeah man, he's That's he's it. deep. He's deep. Wow, and like yeah. 
man, you you seem to be in the right place at the right time meeting like all these because when I look at the list of people you hang out with, you're you're hanging out with some top tier players, man. They're crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> How much of that do you think that's just being in the right place or being around the right people? You know, like it's a co- it, it, it's kind of a combo, you yeah. know. Uh, sometimes you can't be around the right people, but those right people have heard of you and what mm. you have done, i.e. my, you know, yeah, my, yeah. my stint in Shalimar, man, which brought me in a really, really close contact with Prince all through the eighties, you know? Yeah. Uh, we, we, yeah, we became good friends and Prince wanted to do this with me and Prince wanted to do that with me. And we hung out all the time. It was legendary. And then that friggin' legendary basketball game that we played <laughs> that, that's on the Dave Chappelle show. So, you know, that thing just blew blew up, man. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And so I became kind of infamous from that yeah. uh, basketball game. Yeah, man. And these days, you know, it's only me and Eddie Murphy that are left standing because Charlie Murphy's gone and Prince is gone. So we're the kind of guys, those are the two guys, you know, that win that, that yeah, infamous basketball game. And they talk about it all the time, man. It's it never dies. I mean, I did an interview, and I did this. This is the craziest thing ever. ESPN called me up and said, <laughs> "Yeah, well, you know, would you do it right? Yeah, would you do about yeah, an interview with us regarding the basketball game that you played with with Prince?" And I was like, "Really?" And they said, "Yeah, <laughs> we we consider it the biggest and most famous." basketball pickup game in history that's what they called it <laughs> and so i'm on espn talking about playing basketball with prince it was pretty cool but that was kind of weird you know yeah yeah but it, it is a pretty infamous game like that's oh yeah oh yeah man. i <laughs> and... mean it's ridiculous <laughs> that's awesome and it's all true it's all true that... every bit of it's true that's what's so wild about it. Do you think, yeah. okay, so I've been thinking about that, and I, I'm, I was thinking, I'm like, I'm sure you get asked about that all the time. but like All the time. Do, do you think Prince was, since he was so good at, like, dancing, that's why he could play a game like that in heels like that? Uh, maybe, maybe a little <laughs> bit of balance. But, you know, he came, you know, he came from a, a, a black uh, upbringing, man, and basketball's a big deal. Right. You know, and so... Yeah, and he wasn't Prince in high school and stuff, so he had to. He was a short little guy, and he had to try to fit in. So you know, he could excel in almost anything he did, and basketball was one of them. Did I know that? Hell no. When <laughs> when you know, the, the funny thing at that at, when we played that game, man, was uh, I had known Eddie Murphy uh, a lot before that meeting because uh, I had won a Grammy for Eddie Murphy's movie uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. which I had a song on the soundtrack, right? And so me and Eddie became friends, and I would fly out to New York and be his guest on Saturday Night Live and watch him. It was really cool, man, and watching that. So we were we were tight, me and Eddie were, and Charlie. So we're sitting in the club. We go to Prince's house. Prince goes on board. Let's play basketball. And, and Eddie Murphy looks at me like, what the fuck? On his face, and I'm looking at Eddie Murphy like, what the? I don't know what he's talking about, man, right? Because I'm looking at Prince like, basketball and, and and it's true we were in our club clothes bro and charlie and eddie and those guys just went out to their limo and put on shorts and shit and tennis shoes and i i i knew i knew we were gonna die right then and there. <laughs> right but prince right. just said to me prince just goes okay mickey 
take the ball out, give it back to me. And I said, okay, because I, I didn't want the ball. So they, And they were like hungry wolves looking at us like, oh, yeah, bring it, baby. And I got to tell you, I took it out, gave the ball to Prince. Long story short, the guy played like Steph Curry, Michael Jordan, and whooped up on those guys so bad. I don't even think I, didn't, I, don't even think I took a shot in the game. Prince <laughs> shot every time. It, it was crazy. And then after the game, his cook Randy made his pancakes, blueberry pancakes. True story. All of it's true, bro. <laughs> it, it, it can't not be. Like it's so it's so yeah. wild that right, can't right. that can't that's not the, be a that's true the story. Truth. That's the truth. Yeah, that's the truth. And if you watch Charlie, uh, at the end he goes, and that's the truth. If you don't believe me, ask a cat. Ask a cat to play basketball against Mickey Free and Prince. Just ask. <laughs> you, you'll see what I'm talking about. And it's fucking true. Okay, right? That, it's it's absurd. It's so cool. Uh, like, have you been asked to play? <laughs> Has someone been like, let's do this? Let's play? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah, they ask me all the time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, oh, sometimes, man. you know, for real, sometimes jokingly. Yeah. I said, uh, I said the only way you're going to play with me if it's your cooks going to make us blueberry pancakes, and i got to <laughs> talk to the cook first. I gotta talk to her first, bro. Oh yeah, we laugh about it all the time. That's amazing, man. I don't even know if you could be eat blueberry pancakes without without someone bringing that up. Well, I mean, it was so heavy duty that yeah. freaking uh, uh, Dave Chappelle did a Prince put Dave Chappelle's skit cover of him on a Prince album. Right, that's how big right. it was. Breakfast anytime or some shit. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was just, it just blew up, man. And to this day, I, you know, I get asked about it all the time. I've done a couple um, TV things for uh, Netflix and stuff about Prince. And, you know, the, and they always want to talk to Prince's crew and his people. And always they want to talk about me and blah, 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 blah. Because me and Prince were pretty infamous in the 80s. Of, because of women, you know, we were like, <laughs> yeah, baby, you know, we, we were like those guys that like had tons of girls and stuff, but it always comes back to the basketball game. <laughs> All, you know, yeah. it's pretty crazy. That's so, so, so you met him through Eddie Murphy, right? That's how you started. Your oh, no, no, no. Okay. Then how'd no, you meet Prince? I met, in, when I was in Shalimar, Okay. We, uh, we used to frequent the same clubs in Los Angeles and actually around the world. And, uh, you know, I, I got to know uh, Prince's manager. Her name was Jamie Shoup at the time. And she started to tell Prince about me. And our initial relationship was rocky because, like I told you, we get into it about <laughs> women. Oh, yeah. You know, because he had that band, um, Vanity Six. And the girls in Vanity Six were digging on me, and he Prince didn't like that. So we had a little brush a couple a couple of years, and then you know as he got really big, he kind of let it go, and then we we became buddies after that. Hmm. So yeah. like like at, like because to see someone play like excel in all like musically, you can't help but notice Prince excel, right? Like you can't you can't witness Prince without being. Fuck, that's a, you know that it's it's breath totally. yeah musicality breathtaking and like but then to see that kind of shift that focus kind of shift where this guy's got this this uh, like ability to achieve in whatever he is trying to do and like to see it in the form of like okay now he's doing that with basketball like yeah kind of like hanging with him and getting like maybe even pick his brain a little bit did you like what are some of those like those tendencies or did he have like a 
did you see him go into like focus mode? Like what? What? Like because I, I can't imagine like being around someone like that and not seeing them like go into it and like that. Sometimes that can be so breathtaking to see someone completely focus on a thing and knock it out of the park. And like, did you ever like pick up on anything like that with Prince? Well, I mean, you know, to say to tell you the truth, Prince was always in focus mode, always, mm. and that was just part of who he was. You know, he was a singular cat. There's no doubt about it that could do it all. And I've never seen anybody that talented in my life, or I've been that connected that closely. Gene Simmons is a genius too, but he ain't no Prince, you know, for sure. And yeah, yeah. and Prince just did everything well. He was just one of those guys, singular man, that could just do it, do it all well. And you know, I've been asked tons of questions. I don't know if you saw the Vlad interview that I did about Prince and stuff on Vlad TV. It's a, it's on the the mm-hmm. internet you should yeah, watch yeah. it it's got, it's got like three million hits just talking about prince and me but he I, I told everybody and i'll tell you this too having a conversation with prince was like going to church or something because the guy was serious when he talked to you and you know he was very serious and with anything you talked about mm. and then at the end of it he would just turn into a corny ass jokester so freaking corny so funny bro he was off the charts funny i mean he could have had a career almost as a fucking comedian i mean seriously he was that funny yeah. you know and that's what made him cool you wow. know but he 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 ruled with iron fists. He wasn't always fair, and uh, but he was Prince. You know, that's just right. who, who he was. Right. Well, I mean, Prince in the title. You know, there's the Machiavellian thing with that's associated with the word Prince. So, like, there's oh, going to be exactly. some. Yeah. Yeah. You got to like drive the ship, but like, um, so when from when was like Coco Boys? When did that come out? Like as far not come out, but as far as like a conversation between you and Prince, because that was supposed to be a film, yeah. Yeah. That you were oh, supposed yeah, to have yeah. something to do with. So was oh, that yeah. like early in your guys' relationship? Or... It was after Purple. It was after Purple Rain. Oh, okay. It was after Purple Rain. Actually, it was after Under the Cherry Moon that Prince had uh, to do one more movie with Warner Brothers, I think. And I was real popular at the time as a pretty boy, and Prince flew me to Minneapolis and we spoke about it. He was going to do the next movie called the Coco boys. And I was going to be his nemesis just like Morris day was in. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, the other movies and, uh, we planned it and this and that. It just never came to fruition because Prince was too busy. I don't know. You know, that's just the way it goes, but that was, that was real. And, um, it leaked out and people know about it. That's how you know about it because it got on, it leaked yeah. and people started talking about it. And now it's on the internet and stuff now, I think, right? I mean, people know about that too. So yeah, that, I was looking forward to that, man. That was going to be the best. I was going to be a superstar for that, yeah. no doubt. And then getting the three eyes bomb, bro. I was like, oh man. Yeah. You know? But but yeah, that's that was a good one too. You know, Prince, Prince actually, Tried to buy me out of my contract with Shalimar. Yeah, and we had yeah, oh yeah, we had a meeting about it with my uh, guy I was signed to at the time under Shalimar, and uh, he was going for it. Everything was cool. Then on the day of the freaking signing of the contract, 
he just backed out. His name was Dick Griffey. He just mm -hmm. backed out. And and Prince was there, Prince's lawyer, and I was there, my lawyer, and Dick Griffey. And Dick Griffey just looked at me and Prince and John Branca, Prince's lawyer, and said, because he was black, he said, I ain't fattening up no frogs for no snakes. And fucking walked out. Fuck. Just like that. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at Prince. Prince is looking at me. He's behind sunglasses. Yeah. He tilts the sunglasses down on his nose and looks at me like, huh, huh, huh. Then fucking Prince got up and walked out. Damn. Yeah. And I'm at the table like in tears almost. And John Branca, his lawyer, was going, Mickey, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We worked so hard on this deal for you. Prince really wanted you in his camp. We were ready. It, it was a fucking nightmare, man. Yeah. I was... I was bit for years after that because right. I had to still because I still had to stay in Shalimar and I was like, fuck, <laughs> you know. And then yeah. when my, I finally got a chance to get out, I yeah. ran out the door. I was pissed. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Well, how can you not be like? And like, yeah. how much? Well, I imagine. I imagine a lot of dealing with contracts and and stuff like that in the uh, music business is mm -hmm. is 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 fairly disheartening. And like, I imagine yeah. like it it takes like a certain amount of like hearing no and being okay with it to keep going but like like i, I can't imagine not like being that hyped up because you know you, you oh, oh yeah i got a response this is gonna be cool oh yeah and just to be like nah sorry like fuck <laughs> you like, know i learned i learned early in my career about being disappointed with things and i'll, I'll never forget uh when uh one of my records came out. The critics were like, oh, who does Mickey Free think he is? Jimi Hendrix or this or that? And I was like devastated. I was like, what the fuck? Now why are they talking bad about me? And Gene Simmons told me, you got to you gotta cowboy up because you're going to hear that your whole career. Critics are exactly what they are, critics, Mickey. And most of them don't know what the fuck they're talking about anyway. But you're going to hear that. And people are going to beat down on you and and it's all for show and effect most of it because they want a rise out of you so you got to control that and and um you know harness that so i learned that early on from gene you know not yeah. to when yeah not you know i was you've been promised so much i i have been through my career let's say and a lot of it never happened um but i learned to not jump up and down because you know, the checks in the mail kind of a thing. I'm like, yeah, it, until I cash that motherfucker, the check is still in the mail. Right. You know, and that's yeah. where, that's where I looked at it. You know, I learned again early on from Gene about contracts and publishing and writing. I mean, everything that I learned was from Gene Simmons. That's why I have my own publishing company. That's why I still own all of my publishing. That's why I didn't get ripped off from publishing like Aerosmith and all those guys did in the early days. Because they didn't have a gene, but I did. I mean, he was a businessman. So to this day, I own all my records, all my songs, and I can do what I want to do with them. I've I've had huge co-publishing contracts with Polygram International and Irving Elmo from A and M, but it was a a fifty fifty deal with me being the the big man, and and those deals ran out in three, four, or five years, and I retained all rights again, but. Again, Gene Simmons to the rescue, you know? Yeah. What, like, you, I don't know, to be, just to be able to handle that kind of, like, 
um, the the turndowns and all that. It, that's hard enough. So that's amazing to find someone like that because yeah, so much and like and the, and they'll own everything on your own and basically be oh, yeah. DIYing it, doing it yourself. But yeah, man, it's so much harder to do it in the context like you're doing when there's all these other factors and all these like wait, I gotta send, I gotta send a plan. You know what I mean? Like wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> It's such a learning curve for a lot of people that they don't do it. But that's like the next level of sticking through it and committing to it. So like that it's amazing that you like you ran you met up with Gene that early to to get that that insight. So like uh, yeah. um, uh he discovered you with your band uh, Smokehouse, right? It wasn't my band, but I was in that band. Everybody okay. gets that wrong. It wasn't my band, but I was in that band Smokehouse. Uh, I had I was the guy that wrote all the songs and uh, really commanded all the attention. I was the lead singer and you know residential cool guy and, and those things you could say. Mm-hmm. And uh, we opened up some shows and this is crazy too, bro. But early on in my career, probably 18, 19, 20, 21, um, the manager at the time was the drummer's brother in Smokehouse. And mm-hmm. so he he was a pretty good uh, agent, a booking agent throughout the Midwest. So he got us on this tour, and I dig this, with Ario Speedwagon, Kiss, Ted Nugent. Fuck. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it, it was a, yeah. And so we opened a bunch of shows for them, and Kiss was the headliner. So we, excuse me, opened a bunch of shows for him. <laughs> One night, Gene Simmons walks out after I got off stage, and he... Kiss was in all their garb and stuff. I'll never forget it. He looks down at me, goes, big monster boots on, goes, you're a star. And I was like, oh, shit. Gene Simmons, you said that to me. You know? Yeah. And then and then he said, if you're ever in L.A., look me up. And so probably five years after that, maybe, I um, was in L.A. And I was playing uh, in uh, this rehearsal room in L.A. called SIR. And there was a knock on the door, and I op- and we opened the door, and it was Gene Simmons. And he stuck his head in, and he goes, remember me? I'm like, Simmons! <laughs> he goes, oh, I want you to come to lunch with me. I have somebody I want you to meet. I'm glad that I found you. And I said, okay, okay, cool. So long story short, I bet you didn't know this part. At that time, Gene Simmons' girlfriend was Diana Ross. Right, okay? yeah. So, yeah. So we went to lunch, and I met Diana. And Diana expressed the fact that Gene had told her all about this guy that he'd seen years ago. And at that time, Prince was starting to be really big. And Diana Ross wanted a Prince guy on her new label that she was starting called uh, RTC Action Label. And so Gene Simmons says, I got the guy. And he introduced me to Diana Ross. And this is cool. So Gene, Diana goes, okay. Mickey, I want you to do a showcase for me, and I want to come and see you play. And I said, okay. So Gene organized the whole fucking showcase, and he had, this is so fucking cool, man, like 100 girls, no guys, 100 girls at SIR on the big soundstage, and my band did a showcase, and Diana was there, and the girls were going crazy. And Gene's like, oh, yeah. See, Diana? <laughs> See? And she signed me to her record label. Is that crazy, bro? That is crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a book, actually. I'm, yeah? I'm actually writing a book. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You Gene, need to. For, yeah, with Gene stories said, like this. like. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Gene just said, I was supposed to write this book for I could probably 
20 years ago Simmons yeah. told me to but I was I just was like the fuck wants to read a book about me that's what my thinking was you know but now all the when I look at and read out some of the stuff that I've done in my lifetime I'm like fuck man that's pretty fucking cool you know <laughs> and I've got you don't even have enough time to talk to me about the stories I could tell you I'm let's serious, go bro. I'll stay on the phone yeah. until you stop <laughs> I mean there's so fucking many it's unbelievable yeah well, I mean, if those are the highlights, you know what I mean? Like, those are, you know what I mean? Just like yeah. Gene Simmons saying that could have been the story. You know I'm just saying? You're a star. Right, that's the right. it. That's it. Right? You know, <laughs> that could have been it, and that would still be as cool. <laughs> I mean, maybe not as cool as, like, him setting up this showcase with all these women <laughs> that impressed uh -huh. Diana Ross. <laughs> like, and, and, and then this is even cooler. So then after that... Uh, Diana took me on tour with her. I didn't have a record out. I didn't have shit out. I just had my little band. It was called Mickey Free and the American Band. And we're in L.A. This was like 80, 82, let's say. And so Diana took me on tour. And she's only playing arenas, bro, like Cobo Hall in Detroit, Dallas Union Arena. I mean, fucking 20,000 seats, right? And, yeah. and Simmons and Simmons was uh, Kiss wasn't doing anything that summer. So you're going to love this part. Gene Simmons went on tour with us, and he ran the sound for me. Gene <laughs> Simmons was my sound man, baby. Right? Is yeah, that crazy? So, so Gene ran the sound. And, man, and it's enduring stuff like that because Gene was, before he had his family and everything, I was kind of like his son kind of vibe. So he took really care of me and interest in what I was doing, spearheaded a lot of stuff, made sure it was right, taught me a lot of stuff, and yeah, and that's how it was between Gene and I. And, uh, you know, to this day, we're still buddies. I mean, I was just waiting in Vegas probably three weeks ago. That's um, awesome. Yeah, when he opened up, they're going to laugh at this, but it's all true. Gene Simmons art show oh. at, 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 this, at this casino there. Yeah. And, I, and I was there with uh, Steve Stevens from Billy Idol because he was on my record. Yeah, so I yeah. went to see Steve and Billy, and uh, I saw Gene was in town. So I emailed him and the next thing i know the kiss company called me and told me where he's going to be and he's he's expecting me and so i went there and and we hung out and took a bunch of pictures it's all over the press and shit but it was very cool to see gene because i don't see him that much you know yeah he's a busy he's a busy guy well, well yeah well, i want i wouldn't I, with someone who's if he's doing that amount to help you figure your stuff out his his pies have to be like ridiculous like as far as how many it, hands and pies he's got he's it, probably got so exactly much exactly and that's the that is so true he's got his fingers in every pie there is to be eaten trust me bro the guy you know when kiss finally gets off the road which they seem to be doing he's got so much shit to do forget it he's got companies yeah. him and paul you know rock and bruise all kinds of stuff jeans heavily into real estate all kinds of stuff man. so does he like as far as like for a normal like Gene Simmons, hey, I got this thing I'm working on. Would you be interested in? Does does he ever hit you up with like that, but far off the left field from music? Like, is he ever like pitching like real estate ideas to you, or like like pitches like that, or is that just kind of when you ask him, hey, what you working on, and it's just this list of like, what? yeah, he ne yeah, he's never reached out to me that way. Okay, uh, you know, yeah, he. I mean, he is who he is and does what he does, and. If, but I know Gene, if there's something that comes across his plate 
that he thinks would be good for me or I got this guy, he would let me know. That's the way he is. You know, I, yeah. okay, I know he, he, I can make an introduction and he makes introductions a lot in the day and then he would just back out of it because it's all you needed was Gene Simmons' word to get you through the door and the guys were like, oh, fuck it, Gene's backing this guy, then this is our guy. And that's how he's got that kind of clout. Yeah, well, he's got the he's got the merit behind it, but uh, no doubt, yeah. Okay, that's cool. Like, yeah, I can't imagine like having a friend like that who's just got all that going on. You know, what I mean, like just yeah, hanging yeah. out with the friends that are, are are in the band. Well, you gotta go. You tour a record, this that. Okay, that's cool. Like that's a that's impressive enough. But to be like, I'm working on like all these business adventures, and we're coming out with yeah. a new record. What? <laughs> like, how? Yeah, I mean. He, he's a workaholic, no doubt. You know, he doesn't go on vacations until he got married. And his wife, Shannon, who's a good friend of mine as well, finally made him. Yeah. He didn't go on any vacation. He goes, I, I'm working. I don't have time to have a vacation. And he and he inbred that in me, too. I was going to so say. After, yeah, after I got married and stuff, my wife was like, we don't ever go on vacation. I'm like, we don't have time to go on vacation. She was like, oh, Spare me the Gene Simmons rhetoric, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. She goes, let's go on vacation. So I finally got into the mode of going on vacations. And so we'd go to the Bahamas and shit like that. It made life easier, bro. Trust me. <laughs> no, that's – I think that's solid advice because, like, so much of the music, like, kind of industry and work of it is is being there. And, like, if well, if you're not there, you should be writing and practicing and getting ready for the next thing, especially – I feel like a lot of this is now kind of put on the DIY. So you're doing a lot, you know, like right now we're doing yeah. this interview to promote your record. They're like, like there's so much is put on you to keep, keep active and aware. And I don't know about that one. Maybe I should reach out to them. And like, you, there's this spin of like, well, if I'm not, if I'm not appearing, I'm disappearing, you know, like. That's very true. You have to stay, you have to stay relevant, you know. I mean, you know, as we both know, the music business has changed, bro, immensely. You know, yeah. it's not the same of when I was rocking hard and, and super famous. Now they call me legendary, and I'm like, fuck, don't call me that. I said <laughs> that just means that just means old. I said don't fucking call me that, you know. And I said if you do call me that, say living legend. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. You know, um, and I've been. I've been blessed with opportunities, no doubt about it, but trust me, I worked for that opportunity. And you can't make a deposit in a bank with no money, as Gene would say. So I had the goods, and people saw it, and people understood it. You know, I was always confident in what I could do. I'll tell you that. I was always confident, not conceited or cocky, but confident what I could do. And I just honed who I was from an early age, you know, I, yeah. from a very early age. You know, I had a Cherokee mother who was very dominant and very strong. And so I kind of came out as a alpha. I'm not a sheep. I never have been. I'm not a follower. Okay. People follow me these days. I, I don't, I've never followed. I, not because I didn't want to, because I just didn't, I wasn't a follower. Yeah. You know, so, you know, so through music, you know, I just wanted to be this person, and I was lucky. I had talent, but I was very lucky. Right place, right time, like you said, on a tour with Kiss. Gene saw me, um, but 
you got to have talent like to put the money into the bank because just doing that uh, without anything else doesn't work. I mean, the best compliment Gene Simmons, he's given me a couple of compliments. Probably one of the best ones was uh, when people started talking about my music and he would say two things, Mickey Freeze, just not a pretty face, number one. And when they started to really get into me about the Hendrix shit, Simmons would go, Mickey Free is a Jimi Hendrix innovator, not a Jimi Hendrix impersonator, mm-hmm. which is very cool. Van- you know? Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, uh, you know, I, dude, I consider myself blessed right now, you know, in my life. I've, I've climbed from obscurity to up the mountain, won a fucking Grammy. Kiss hasn't won a Grammy. And she, <laughs> Right. And he says that to me all the time. You're in the business for one year and you win a Grammy. He goes, that is, <laughs> that sucks. Right. Yeah. So, so I climbed the fucking mountaintop, you know, and I'm still relevant in, in these times, you know, uh, like in some of the interviews, you may not, I don't take for granted ever that people know who Mickey Free is. I'm just, I, I just don't because a lot of people don't. Because it's the new people coming up, you know. Mm-hmm. But some of the some of the old timers, let's say, yeah, of course they know. But now the younger generations tell me why Dave Chappelle, and that's right. for sure and for certain, you know. Yeah. And so now, you know, those people know me, and then, you know, the last two couple, three, four years, I'm, I'm hanging out with Billy Gibbons and Gary Clark Jr. and you know all these yeah all these new relevant guys like like I said Gary Clark. Chris Stone, Kingfish, Ingram, like just relative uh, Carlos Santana. I mean, I, me and Carlos and I are very, very good friends. I jam with Carlos all the time. Yeah. Uh, his, yeah. His wife used to be in my band, Mickey Freeze American Horse Trio. Cindy Blackman was the drummer. And then she met Carlos and married her. And that's crazy, man. But yeah, but, but all of that, uh, is by design kind of, you know, I know that I have to keep, if I'm going to stay in this kind of game on whatever level that it is that I'm on, which who the fuck knows, but you've got to stay relevant. Okay. So, you know, yeah. So I'm, I'm jamming with these people. I'm in those circles with those people. Those people respect me and it, it's out there. It gets out there and it's, and it's being talked about. That's why we're talking, Yeah. you know, and, and that's the way it is, man. You know, but like I, yeah, like I said, though, I've had a fucking stellar career right up until this phone call. So my new record is just like, forget about it. It's the best record I've ever done. And I wrote it over COVID. Dig that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. It's, it's pretty amazing with all the, all the stop signs to do a record during in 2020. Um, Right. So I just did it, man. Kind of like dive in to dive into that, like then kind of get more guitar guitar talking like yeah so like okay w- with with idea like i th- you when you it's like how you said it's not like you're not emulating you take from you stand on the shoulder of giants right and yeah. no yeah. one no one innovated more than hendrix as yes. far as the guitar so anything after yeah. hendrix is carrying that torch to some degree uh, and totally. to speak upon that like i know on a tattoo burn there's a hendrix cover and on a on the new one and, um, right. There's all along the watchtower, but like, yeah. the the tone you get, like, 
is so fucking close. Like that's that that right? takes that's that's <laughs> that's good, man. Like yeah. it's not easy to do that. And like because it's not just in the gear, it's in the hands, it's in the approach. Mm-hmm. And like um, no doubt. And so so I, I, there's nothing like I, I, when people harp on that. Like I have to some degree, I think if you're influenced by someone, it's kind of in a way you're right to show that you are and carry on that thing so people can know who is that Hendrix. Not that Hendrix is going to be forgotten, but you know what I mean? Like they moved you so much that you are emulating them to some degree in your style or in your plane or right. in your own material. Right. And that's, that's the beauty of it. We continue, you know, we don't make up new words. We reuse the ones other people use. We just right. put right. them in a new way. Um, but uh, I mean, if you, if, if you listen to any guitar player, a blues rock player or the guitar player, they've been influenced by Jimi Hendrix. You know, a lot of them, oh, no doubt. I mean, just take Steve Ray Vaughan. Look at the way he dressed, bro. Yeah. He, he, that was his guy too, Hendrix. I mean, you know, but, but Stevie then formulated his own style of Texas blues rock. You know, yeah. there's no, there was no one like that. He came up with that shit. From like you said, uh, eating the Jimi Hendrix cereal and you know <laughs> and sh- and taking the shit and that's what came out. You, you know what I mean? Texas turds. In, yeah, Texas turds. <laughs> but he was, you know, see, you could you could go down the list. I mean, every guitar player that's relevant now, uh, Kingman, Shepherds, all those fucking guys were were influenced by Hendrix. You know, it's just that I'm brown skinned okay number one and jimmy Hendrix is part of native too so yeah. am i you know that whole thing and the one thing i learned early in the game even before i met billy gibbons was tone through my amps tone yeah tone is your signature sound and what you can do with that tone and that's a big part of my sound i get fucking great tone I mean, that's for sure and for certain. If everyone says that, I know it because I worked on getting that sound, listening to albums, playing gear when I was young, trying to get as close to tone of Hendrix and my other, like Robin Trower and all those guys that I dug, trying to get their tone close to that, but never copying those guys. And I've, I said this in the last interview that I did a couple of days ago. I never in my career listened to a Jimi Hendrix record, a Rolling Stones record, a Robin Charles record, Jeff Beck record, and try to play a solo just like the record. Never. Why? Because there's only one of those fucking guys. There's only one of them. That's their shit, you know? Yeah. I, I could, for instance, on, I always, for the last two records, just like you said, I do my homage to uh, Hendrix. You know, the first one was Voodoo Child, and we fucking smoked the fuck out of that one. And then my favorite song by Jimi Hendrix, written by Bob Dylan, is All on the Watchtower, right? Yeah. And, and so I wanted to cover that song. It's, it's, that's my favorite Jimi Hendrix song. And uh, I've heard so many people cover it. Uh, ben Harper and, and even uh, what's-his-name that played with Hendrix on that fucking song, Dave Mason. I've even jammed with Dave Mason yeah. on that song. Yeah, oh yeah. But those guys have their own take on All Along Watchtower, okay? 
But my take was based on the way Jimi Hendrix did it, his way. So I did it my way that I felt that Jimi Hendrix did it. I wanted to be as close to the record as I could go, but still putting my little chili sauce on it. But, you know, it sounds fucking amazing, man. I'll tell you that. And I know it does because I, I felt it, you know. And I do Jimi Hendrix licks in there for sure. But the solo's not just like his solo, No Long Black Star. I couldn't play it, you know? Yeah. So I don't fuck, I don't even try to think that way. I just put my own sizzle on it, you know? Fuck it, man. Yeah. One of the things, one of the things that my record label in England at the time, the UK, it was called uh, Livewire Cargo Records. They gave me a nickname called the Inadmittable Mickey Free, Okay. But I, did, I didn't know what the fuck that meant at first. I'm going, what the fuck does that mean, right? <laughs> yeah. so, <laughs> so I looked it up, and it says, cannot be duplicated. I was like, oh, yeah, baby. You know, so, <laughs> so I mean, you know, that's how my rep is, you know. Yeah. My, my sound pretty well, you'll know it's me playing. You'll, you will definitely know it's me playing because of my style and the way I play guitar and tone. And then moving on, I met Billy Gibbons and men Billy had serious talks about tone and he is the master of tone. So I learned a lot from Billy, you know, and that's, the, that's why, that's why my sound, especially on this record is harnessed, man. It's there. It's, it's me. It's, that's it. I, that's the sound I love. I got it on record that way. Tattoo Burn Redux was a different album from Turquoise Blue. That Tattoo Burn Redux record was a straight up kind of more leading towards the blues yeah. diameter. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Then, Turquoise is much rocking. Rocking. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I wanted it that way because Turquoise Blue really is me playing what I love to play. I did Tattoo Burn Redux by design to break into the blues world so those people could notice me. And it worked, and they did. You know, it's got some blues rock stuff on there, but yeah. it's got some pretty traditional straight up blues songs on there too. So yeah, man, that's a quite a compliment, you know, and like you said, and like Billy said, I could pick up any guitar and plug it in an app and I would sound the same because it's in your fingers for sure. You know? What, like, what are, so when you're hanging with like Billy, like in the Carlos Santana, like as a guitar player, you can't help, like it, just like when you talk with someone, right? When you have a conversation, mm -hmm. You, and if you hang out with someone enough, you pick up on, like, their idiosyncroisms. Like, you, you pick right. up on words and, like, ways they think, and that only comes from hanging out with them. Um, yeah. Musically, like, what what were some of those, like, those things? Like, because you can't hang out with Carlos Santana and not learn something. Like, what are, what are oh, some yeah, of those, that's... like, guitar, music-based things that just being in the aura of a guy like that you pick up on? Well, you know, first of all, if on Turquoise Blue, if you listen to World on Fire, people think that's Carlos Santana playing. That's yeah. fucking me, you know? <laughs> people think it's yeah. Carlos, you know, because the whole Santana band is on the record, except for Carlos. The whole, the whole band is, right? And so and the only reason Carlos isn't on it because he was working on his new record with uh, Rob Thomas and, you know, all those fucking guys from uh, Metallica, and he was just swamped. And so... When I asked him to do a solo on the record, he goes, I heard the record already. Well, you don't need me on it. You sound great. You sound like me. And so we laughed about that. But I, I wanted his stamp on it, but I got the whole band, you know, yeah. Cindy. Everyone's playing on that record. 
But in the early days of my career, it was Hendrix and it was Santana. So I kind of had that Santana-ish groove when I was very young as well as combining that with Hendrix, combining that with Robin Trower, all that shit I ingested and it became out the inadmissible Mickey Free, right? So when you're hanging with Carlos, the thing about Carlos that he likes about me, and I know this, is first of all, respect. You know, when he asked me to jam with him, I go on stage and I don't try to go up there and like fucking shred and shit and play a thousand notes over Carlos because this is my chance. This is my chance and all these people are here. I, that's not me. I would never do that out of respect. And I'm just not that guy. And so Carlos realizes that about me and he respects that about me. So if you go on the YouTube and see me jam with Carlos, he always pushes me to the front and solos and he sits back and leans against his amp and digs it and shakes his head. That's respect, you know? And, and I've learned from listening to him play his, how he plays. And I'm, uh, I play like that as well, you know? And so it, it, it was, it was kind of uh, by design in my early days, cause I was listening to Santana and I wanted that, that tone and his melodicness in his playing. So I developed that early in my career too. And, but it put it together in all the other shit that I knew. So all my life, including Gene Simmons, he would describe me as this uh, this blues rocker guy named Mickey Free, kind of Santanish player. That's genius to say that about me in the fucking 80s. So, yeah, man. Yeah. And then, and, and then hanging with Billy, I mean, I could, for instance, if you listen to the song Low Riding 420 on uh, Turquoise Blue, that sounds like fucking ZZ Top, bro. Because yeah. that's that's totally influenced by Billy. And the way I play guitar in there sounds like Billy. And people say, is that Billy Gibbons? I'm like, nah, man, it's me. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. I recorded with Billy in the Bahamas. And I've, uh, you know, the ZZ Top records were at the forefront of guitar playing that I loved. And so, again, I kind of adapted that vibe into my arsenal. So, you know, it's all mixed up and rolled into one of guitar players that I appreciate and uh learn from and my sound basically and yeah you learn shit from those guys if you don't you're a dummy because there's more to it than hanging out than just well hey man let's have a drink there's more to it i'm i'm calculating that, that way i mean i'm gonna hang out with these stars because i'm, I'm like a sponge Simmons just call me i soak everything up bro yeah you know yeah yeah you know yeah and in music people would go yeah, you know, this, and we heard this and this, and I go, yeah, I takes what I need. I takes <laughs> what I need, you know, and, and that's the way it is. Nobody, uh, you, you, I can't even tell you one guitar player right now that's original in a sound that's never been before them. I, I, right now, I can't even think of a guy because they go through everything. Every Every generation has idols. And the younger people get into that, and then they bring it out, and then they bring it out, and so forth and so on. I, mean, I can't, I mean, you could tell me when that'd be great, but I, I can't think of one. And, and to be honest with you, as for me, I don't give a fuck about being a legendary guitar player. I could care less, bro. I just like to play music, and I'm glad that my fans can appreciate my music. And at the end of the day, I'm about a song. 
Did my song move you? Did we connect on that song? You like my guitar playing? Thank you very much. Okay. That's where I am as far as a guitar player. Uh, you know, I'm just not that guy that went to uh, IT or whatever the fuck it is, those guitar schools, and learned all those scales and stuff. That didn't interest me. It never has interested me. You know, I was all about emotion mm, when okay. I played play guitar, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I guess, like, you know, with, like, Santana, he's got this, with at least with his melodic approach, right? It's kind of, there's space to that. There's giving that kind of, like, oh, yeah. that respect, like, so yeah. sitting back. It's almost like doing that with the music is kind of his approach in a oh, way. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like a cook. It's like a cook in a kitchen, let's say, that bakes an apple pie, let's say, okay? As soon as the ingredients in apple pie are done and it's baked, what do you do with it? You got to take it out and let it cool. You give it space. You give it time, right? Yeah. So that's how Jeff Beck plays. That's how Carlos plays. That's how Gibbons plays. That's how I play. That's how a lot of people play. You got to give those notes rooms to breathe in our world, let's say. you know. And, and the people that shred, they're in it from a different planet. You know, they, they don't, they don't think that way. And, you know, I was living in LA, as you know, in the eighties and that was all just California shred guys. I mean, in every band, yeah. you know, yeah. but what the fuck, you know, and, and, and another thing, and this is true about me, I didn't get in the music business and this is my person and my fans feelings, but to attract guys, bro, I want to do attract girls, you know? <laughs> and yeah, that's the way you play. That's the way I look. It's not contrived. It's the real me. And in one interview, they asked me about my guitar player. And I said, look, man, I never really wanted to make the guitar player scream. I just wanted to make it moan like women. And they were like, oh, yeah, baby, you know? <laughs> and that's how I look at it. Yeah, all right. That makes, like, um, because, like, I, I, you can say more when you give it space. And, and I, I think so. I think so. Because yeah. yeah, you need rest the the hook on to what's said. Like, if this whole interview just was played, not no breaths, no no stops, no one would totally. hear what we've yeah, said. Totally. You know, totally. it would just been yeah. like, and that's it. So that's right. You exactly. So you get it. You can because you just emulated that with our conversation of guitar playing my way. So you totally get it. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Um. To to tie it to like. Native American flute. Now I've attempted every year. My grandma she gives me a random instrument for Christmas, just a random <laughs> instrument, and it's awesome. Because right. so I'll spend. That's cool. It is. It's so I'll spend, and they're always like a little tinker thing, like the flute yeah, and like yeah. a thumb piano. Yeah. You know, it's nothing crazy, but it's enough. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's enough to piss everyone else off as I'm trying to figure <laughs> out how to play this flute. And like, right. I got a Native American flute, and I'm trying to figure it out. And like, I I can't get the 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 tra uh, trajectory of the breath right. But the note, the notes are like minor pentatonic scale, and like, and it's interesting because a lot of like Native American music has like those blues tendencies in it. Totally. So totally, like, and totally. like we even talked about Hendrix. He he had some Cherokee in his family. I oh, think yeah. it was his grandmother. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like, um, yeah. the, like with, as as far as adapting um, what you know on guitar to flute, because your flute records are dope. Like. They're not, it's oh, not hack at all. That's some real flute playing and like how you apply it to the guitar, your approach with guitar. Like usually that backing tracks 
uh, backing track for kind of like that, uh, any music like labeled as therapy or spacey. Oh yeah. Yeah. But you yeah, have like a yeah. harmonic direction and like, of like, like this rock base to it, which is cool because it's not just like, it's not just like atmospheric. There's a, yeah. there's a melody that you're following with this approach. So like, totally. can you totally. talk about maybe like, was it hard to adapt? Um, those kind of like tech, uh, like, like uh, approaches to guitar to flute or was it hard to like reel it in with like uh, your guitar music that you do or was it the just fact, easy? <laughs> the fact of the matter, and this is very true. I play the flute like I play guitar. If you listen to the way I play guitar, it's the same as the way I play flute. It's melodic and there's two ways you play the Native American flute. One is traditional, which is uh, without any contemporary instruments. Okay, I I can play totally traditional with the very native style playing, or I can play contemporary, is which you dig and which I like playing, and which like all my fans like playing as well. And that's just me uh, learning that the instrument, the Native American flute and then taking it to another level of what comes out through me through the same lane as the way I play guitar. That's how it happens, you know? I didn't really uh, start out playing like that or thinking I was gonna play like that, but I got kind of good on the Native American flute and, and I could move well on it and incorporate it in, into, I have, I put, in my show, dude, I play a couple of Native American flute songs because people want to hear that shit. And it was like, yeah, man. But I can play it to my music, like music music, you yeah. know, C contemporary music. And, you know, every Native American flute is not the same key. So I've got like 24 different flutes and they're all in different keys. So, you know, and then when you're doing a blues song and I can play Native American flute to a fucking blues song, you get that flute in that key and you play you just have to know that the Native American flute doesn't have all the notes in it. Yeah. Like you, yeah, of, of the key that you're going to play in, but you find them and that's what I do. I, you know, so it, it wasn't hard. No, it wasn't hard for me. It, like I said, I have a natural ability for instruments. I play like seven of them and it's just natural. That's it, man. It's a gift from God because I can hear it. And, you know, I can go there and I can find it. That's how I learned how to play. In the old days, man, way before you were born, I'm sure, albums, and as you know, vinyl's back. But I, I fucked up many albums with a needle going back and listening, going back and listening. <laughs> My mom's going, you're going you're to ruin that record. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but that, that's, how I, <laughs> that's how I learned. Yeah. And listening and listening. More more so than anything was listening listening and and i would pick up guitar and i would find where you are by by just finding it bling 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 you know and find it for instance when i jam with people you know i don't fucking read notes and i don't you know i know i've got a pretty good knowledge of chords and shit but i don't you know some when they say e flat minor g7 flat i'm like what the fuck is that just play the song so then they play it, and then I know where to, to go with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's just, that's the way I play, you know, by ear. And when people ask me to play on records and stuff, it's because of my sound and the way I play. That's it. Nothing more than that. They come in and do your thing.
That well, you, yeah. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you. I was going to say so much of music is listening as far as the player's concerned. Oh, and yeah. And it's interesting like how far that kind of gets thrown off. Like how, 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 right, like, right. And I agree that there's a visual component to it. When you go see a show, you want to see a performance. You know, you want to see yeah. Um, yeah. entertainment that way. But as far as like musicianship, a lot of it, like so many people I feel get caught up in like, um, gear and just like things that are very visual that take away yeah. or, or just like that take away from actually listening to it because it, it's to like just to be in the room with like like players like Santana and Billy Gibbons and like mm. like you know just to be in the room and be able to hear how they approach it and know that you've listened to yourself so much that yeah. you can that you can kind of gauge that and apply it. Like, right. uh, Victor Wooten's got a good bit. Um, it's a it, theory is a, it's not fact, you know, it's just a theory. Yeah. So he's a bad motherfucker too. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so, so much of like, of like music is, is kind of examined through notes and through kind of visual aspects of it. And like that listening parts taken away. Um, what other instruments do you play? Are they all like strung related or are they like, is it like drums, uh, bass? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I play, uh, bass. I play guitar. I play timbalas, I can play drums, I play harmonica, I play flute. Um, what's the seventh one? Something in there. Uh, <laughs> I play, yeah, I play a little keyboard. Okay. I, can, I can, yeah, I can play mostly anything that I pick up after I plunk on it a little while, you know, blink, 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 blink. That's how I learned how to do everything. Yeah. One year I said, I want to play harmonica. I bought a harmonica and I just started blowing through it. People, people, people. And then I started listening to songs of harmonica like you know traditional cool bluesy stuff you know but blues rock like the cream had harmonica and led zeppelin and and then i tried it black sabbath even yeah then i tried to yeah then i tried to emulate that then i got that and then i knew my way a little bit around the harp so i could play songs like oh Susanna too <laughs> yeah it's a mel a, mel a good melody is a good melody <laughs> you I know what you, i mean Melody is everything to me. Melody is fucking everything. I don't. If you listen to any song I've ever wrote, there's melody in it. That's the first thing and foremost to me. Melody, because from that melody, I can write the song, and play the solo, and show what the song is about. Right. Melody is everything to me. You know, it's not how many notes I can play on guitar. It's how many less notes or good notes I could fit into the melody of the song. Well, that was kind of cosmic right there, bro. Yeah, that, that was, was good. cosmic shit right there, <laughs> right? Right. It's taking away. It's a take. It's shaving the ones away you don't need. It's like sculpting at a sculpture. You know, but, it's putting but, that but space back in those. But but I, this is cool. You're not even gonna believe this, but it's in interviews everywhere too. I didn't start out the guitar player that I am today, as far as music goes. I was in a really heavy shit in the '70s growing up. Black Sabbath was my favorite fucking band when I started to really get into it, besides Hendrix, besides those guys yeah. I mentioned. So the first concert I ever went to was Black Sabbath. No okay. way. Oh, yeah, man. And I loved fucking Black Sabbath. What I learned from them is how to write riffs. I got good at like heavy, cool rock riffs because of Black Sabbath and Tony Iommi, the way they played. Okay? Then as I started to get older uh, classic rock started to get in that mix too so then you got black sabbath and then you got fucking hendrix and you got fucking 
Aerosmith and you got the cream, you know, and so all that started to be churning in, in the pot too. Then as I got a little bit older, I started listening to blues a lot. Then you put that in there. So you got Black Sabbath, you got classic rock, then you got blues, and then you just stir all that shit up. And that's my sound, blues, rock, a derivative of all of those things. And the guy that, this is crazy too, the guy, and they're still good friends of mine to this day, but I really learned how to write good songs and structure was from Rick Nielsen of Cheap Trick, who's oh. still one of my good friends today. And the guy can write songs. I mean, if he, I mean, Surrender, get out of here. I mean, those, he's a good songwriter. He's not a great guitar player, but he doesn't give a fuck because that's not his thing. He's a he's a songwriter, you know. What? Oh, the, well, yeah, cheap trick. You just get stuck in your head. I'm trying. Uh, oh yeah. The surrender, dream, police. I mean, fucking, they got hits up the wazoo, and they're still out there doing it, bro. Yeah. My tour manager, my tour manager is cheap tricks tour manager. That's how you know. That's how far into it that I am. I know all those motherfuckers, and. We're, we're lucky to be alive still in this day doing what we can do, knock on wood. And as you know, I mean, this fucking COVID thing has just yeah. fucked us, our lives totally up because that's how we make a living. Right. And, you know, but we're still out there trying to push it and get it right. Why? Because that's the way it is, man. That's who we are and that's what we do. Seriously, that's it. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's what it is. And like, well, okay, to kind of like touch upon, like, so with the Sabbath kind of thrown into the mix, like with songs like yeah. Heavy Mercy and By 2020 off the new oh, record yeah. are very yeah. riff based. Now that you put that in there, I can't, I can't unhear that influence, which is, cool, Oh yeah. Which is very cool. Yeah. Um, so like, um, and then I want to put a pin into the, the uh, current industry, but like, so coming from this, like kind of blues and this rock and the, like, was it uh, to do Shyamala, like to do a project like that, which is very like the, you know, I mean, it's it's stepping with those like same kind of notes in like that same kind of yeah. approach, but differently. Yeah. And it's yeah. all it's very much dialed back, and like it's very syncopated and in the pocket with certain things. Like, so like was was that a challenge, or like what were some of the challenges to adapt to that approach? Well, Shalomar taught me a lot, to, to be honest with you, about R and B and funk because I really wasn't into that at all. You know, Shalom was a black band, you know, and I learned a lot from being in that environment. You know, I came into it as just Nicky Free, blues rock, guitar player, pretty boy, looks like Prince. That was my vibe. That's why they wanted me in the band. So I had to adapt to that band, you know, and like on records and stuff, I would only do solos when I wanted to and sing a little bit when I wanted to. Shalomar had a full band. You are backing us all the time. There's three members out front that were the, the principals, but behind us was a fucking full band. And I let the uh, guitar, rhythm guitar player do all the heavy lifting because I wasn't interested in that funky guitar playing. I, I yeah. care less. Then in Shalomar, I met Prince. And me and Prince used to jam a lot. And his approach to that really, really funky guitar was a little bit different than Shalomar's approach. It was more funky James Brownish with really stuff that interests me. Yeah. So Prince taught me how to really play rhythmic, funky stuff like he does. And that's where I learned my chops, funk and funk. 
that way from Prince. But it never interests me, man. It, it never did in Shalomar. It sounds. It sounds like with. I mean, I guess it may, it's, it's. This is a stupid thing to say, but it sounds like it's like the being in the experience and being around. It's more of playing with someone doing that style where it kind of syncs with you. So it's more totally. of that listening applied to like the situation you're in. Like, yeah, to, there, there it is again. Listening, right? Listening to, and uh, and I can adapt very quickly on different stuff. I do. I love country and western music. I mean, fuck, I love it all. I love rap music. And another thing I was going to tell you, this is so cool. I have a 19-year-old son yeah. who has, who, oh, yeah, who has his own taste in music. And uh, and I have a, a daughter that's like 32. And she was the first one that turned me on to Lincoln Park, one of my favorite fucking bands, I must tell you. <laughs> and that whole sound, you know, th- Three Days Grace and shit like that or whatever. And, you know. I respect and dig that stuff. And let me tell you something, man. Tool ain't no fucking joke. I know Maynard. And that band is serious. And those fucking people can play. And they got their own shit. And I respect yeah. that. And I dig and I dig it, man. I dig Tool a lot. You know? And uh, it's, dude, I'm just like, I don't know, man. Living, living the life. Music is the medicine. Music is my medicine. I dig it. I really do. I mean, like, it might sound corny, but I'm kind of like a real musician, for real. You know, I can walk it like I talk it. Besides all the weird shit I wear that people love too. Oh, I, that's, yeah, but I would agree yeah. with that statement a hundred percent because just like if you look at the credentials that we've kind of gone over, they're all different situations, and the only thing that's besides you that's a through line is it is music. And that's that's the musician, someone who can adapt what they do to the situation they're in. And like, so I would agree with that statement a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, Prince would call me, his bodyguard would call me in fucking three in the morning and say, Prince is at Sunset Sound in LA. He wants you to jam. Click. I'd be like, <laughs> uh, and you, and you just had to go because Prince was Prince. And, you know, more than not, it was a fucking opportunity happening there. And I knew right. it. Uh, right. And, you know, <laughs> I go there and this one night and it's fucking Miles Davis there. So I'm jamming with Miles Davis, Prince, Sheila E. on drugs. Prince Prince made me play bass that night, and I was like, "Oh my god, I can't I can't play bass that good." He goes, "Yes, you can play bass." So I was playing bass, and he was playing piano. It was fucking crazy. But we're, I'm jamming with Miles Davis, bro, that's and Prince. Sick. That's fucking a, crazy. That's a concert I would pay a lot of money to be right. at. <laughs> like this shit like that always happened, you know. And, was it was it never a, a dull moment. Did you, uh, with well, with that particular, did you get to pick like Miles's brain at all? Did you get to like the talk? No, to him? no. Okay. Not he. He didn't talk hardly at all. Yeah. Yeah. He he wasn't a talkable cat to tell you the truth. And when he did talk, he was mumbling, uh, nah, yeah, yeah, like that. Seriously, yeah. I don't know. I don't understand what the fuck he said. <laughs> you know, and and even when I hang out with Billy, man, I emulate Billy to him, and I could do a killer ZZ Top Billy impersonation and I, he would just laugh and let me do it for you so he'll we'd be in the studio and he'll go uh yeah uh i'll check it out uh listen uh why don't you go back and uh put some more mojo on that first line uh yeah do that for me that's, and he, <laughs> that's good <laughs> that's right <laughs> yeah and he would fucking die laughing man <laughs> you know and that's just from hanging out with him and 
and jumping on his shit, you know? That's so That's <laughs> awesome. Wow. But, I mean, like, just to be around that, you know, I mean, as musicians, like, one of the kind of, like, you want to hang out with the dudes that are better better than you musically, and that's how you grow. Mm -hmm. And, man, mm -hmm. you've gotten to hang out with those guys. But just like you were saying, it doesn't come from not putting the work in. So, oh, yeah. And they would, let me tell you something, they wouldn't hang out with you if you didn't put the work in. Right. I mean, that's the way that works, you know. They don't, they don't need no hanger-oners, but if they consider you almost like a peer and someone that's got it and that's affable, then you can, you can dig it and they can dig you. And that's the way it is. You know, I don't, I don't mix with everybody that I meet. I mean, you know, there's a few names that I don't like and I'm not going to say them for, <laughs> you know, for, for, yeah, from egos and all that shit right. that I've met that, that I wouldn't, and they're, and they're big timers that I, I could care less to be associated with. Just because of their vibe, and right. their conceit, and their aura—you know—I'm, I'm, you know, I'm part native. I, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritual, man, and I believe in karma, and I believe in what you put out there comes back. And I always try to do the good things that I really do, and you know, that's the way life is for me. You know, like I said, I've been blessed. I think I've been fucking blessed, man. I'm still around, looking good at 90 years old. You know what can I say? <laughs> well definitely well mickey thank you so much for doing the new album's amazing and i know it's it's oh, about to drop you, soon and like this has been yeah. this it's been an honor to pick your brain a little bit and and get to hear some of these stories and and some of the back stories this is cool yeah um well I'll, you know if, if i'm ever out there somewhere near you and close you got my number keep it Call me, man, and come and hang out with me. Seriously, yeah, I'm that kind of sick. guy. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. Appreciate that. You got it, brother. All right, dude. All right, man. Have a good one. Thanks. Same to you, and thank you. Okay, bro.